Well, good morning, LCM. Today is November 13th, 2022. Our year is rapidly racing to an end, and before we know it, New Year's Eve will be upon us. We have two weddings, we have two major uh, festivities and holidays on the calendar. We will soon continue into 2023 with the momentum of growth and maturity. Somebody say growth and maturity. Growth and maturity. That we have gained over the previous months and years. We anticipate greater works to be done through this body of believers and greater expansion into the nations through the entirety of the One Association. Can you all believe that we're getting very, very close to the end of this year? Time has flown by. Well, when we contemplate the grandeur of God's plan, we are elated to see the evidence that our God has been faithful to keep us on track mm -hmm. with steady growth, enabling us to have a deepening of convictions and the rise of resiliency to stretch beyond our current capabilities. Y'all ready for some deep contemplation? Some inner self-reflection. Isn't it true that your capabilities are greater now than they were a year ago? Last November to this November, greater. Isn't it a proven spiritual scientific fact that each endeavor that you've encountered this year has stretched you past the boundaries of your own limitations? Yes, yes, amen. Since we've all been stretched beyond our previous limitations, it is without contestation that the Lord has proven to you that the One Association of Churches can, somebody say can, can establish 12 domestic springs that will reach the 70 nations of the world. It is beyond question that Yahweh Savaot can, somebody say can, can raise up harvesters from this body who receive the nations as their inheritance. And you, I mean, yes, I'm talking to you, LCM, are saints that know unequivocally that you can, somebody say can, can, you can secure for your brothers the fortified beachheads through the sacrifice of your own lives. God can do this, right? Well, look, as stated in last Sunday's message, Operation Sledgehammer, we said this. Whether we die or live again to see the total and complete destruction of the dominion of darkness, this battle must be fought, and we cannot be too ashamed to dream of real victory. We are here to change the world, not leave it as we arrived in it. Saints, we want to call your attention to some very important things today. If you take just a moment and reflect on what real victories you have already experienced this year. Somebody say this year. This year. I mean, you don't have to go back into the recesses of your thoughts about decades ago. You can think about the last 12 months, the last 365 days. And you know what you'll find when you start reflecting? You're going to find courage. You're going to find strength yes. to stick to the plan for what lies in the days ahead. See, we're throwing away our own measuring lines of faithlessness. Yeah. We're no longer accepting those sacrifices that are lame or blind or weak. We are picking up our sticks and stones of God's shalom. Yeah. And we're trusting that his word will never fail us. Oh, yes. Well, in fact, there's this righteous rabbi named Paul. 
And he states this very principle of how our sticks and stones will bring shalom and his word will never fail us in this wonderful book called Ephesians chapter 3. So everybody turn with me and say there when you get to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Raise your hands if you are familiar with this passage. Right? Yep. Has it been a consistent source of encouragement for you? Yes. Yes, it has for me. Well, the passage begins with a very plain and pashat phrase. And that is, now to him who is able. Let's put this in context. Who's the him in here? The Lord. The Lord. Because man is not able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So, now that we know the him of this passage, is he, meaning is the Lord, able? I want to ask you again. Ask him again. Is he able? When I look at the abilities, capabilities, magnitude of who our God is, our God has no limits. He is without measure. His glory cannot be contained. His power cannot be conquered. His plan cannot be thwarted. His force is royal. And his people are his chosen weapon of war. Is our God able, church? Not only that, he has ordered our steps. He has plotted our course, and he's filled our arsenal with weapons of righteousness for your right hand and your left. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the breaker open of the way. He is at our head, and he is leading us into major military operations that are going to require our sacrifice, and they're going to require our trust in his transformational power in order for them to be achieved. Are you with us this morning, church? As we are talking about the glory of our God, his ability, he is able to do not just a little bit more, but exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than what you're able to ask or think. That is the God that we are lifting up today. That is the God that we are turning our focus on for us to be able to trust that our God has put before us a plan. His plan is immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Somebody say immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. In fact, that's the title of today's sermon, Immeasurably More. Now, I want to do something real quick, kind of going back to my days in the early 1990s. Take it back. Yeah, there was something that we did, uh, you know, we would call out, hey, DJ, rewind. Right? There's something that we want to make sure that you guys get, because I, I get it. We're reading this passage. We're engaging the character of God, and it is, it is awe-inspiring. 
It is full of awe. Our jaws are dropping at the thought that he is able to do immeasurably more. So I'm going to read this again. I'm going to do a DJ Rewind. And I really want your soul to begin to be pointed in the direction of the magnitude and capabilities of our God. Is he able? Come on, is he able, church? Our God has no limits. Is he able? He is without measure. Is he able? His glory cannot be contained. His power cannot be conquered. His plan cannot be thwarted. His force is royal. Is he able, church? You are his people, his chosen weapon of war. Is he able, church? Can he do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine? When we are really focusing our souls on the character, magnitude, and capabilities of God, we have tangible evidence in our midst that this is a truth that we're living out. Remember I talked about a year ago, last November, in comparison to where we are now? You know what wasn't a thing a year ago? Red and Gabby. Oh, hey, oh. I mean, there was, yes. I believe. I believe. That brother still believing. Don't stop believing. We watched this year the transformation of these two lives becoming one. We watched them walk through the pre-marriage counseling, and have confirmation after confirmation that this was a compatibility ordained and arranged by the living God. Red and Gabby, has he already done more than you can ask or imagine? Immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. Well, you know who also wasn't a thing? But now it's a big thing, a more current thing. That's Nick and Anna. Nick and Anna. My, how God has done immeasurably more with each one of these participants of this couple. I mean, they're they're getting married next weekend. We have watched transformation after transformation after transformation. I wish we had a picture of Nick whenever he first attended. No, no. When he first came to LCM, <laughs> it's in my mind. Rewind. If I had to use a single word that would describe what Nick looked like, it would be something like, booyah, <laughs> But look at the handsome man of God that he is now. Anna, has God done immeasurably more than you could have ever asked or imagined? Yes. Of course he can. Yes. Very he done. did. He's so good. Immeasurably more. And we're just at the beginning. We're just at the beginning. Right? Not one year has e- eclipsed itself from when Rhett and Gabby were married. And it's just the beginning for them. We're on the precipice of seeing a new entity under heaven and earth named Mr. and Mrs. Nick Rosales. And it will be the inauguration of yet more that God is going to do and immeasurably beyond that. Come on. Now, I want to take a look at the couple that's sitting right next to them, Pastor. 
If you think about 12 months ago, another thing that was not in existence was Robin Miranda. We've seen immeasurably more things happen. You guys are less than 30 days. How many days? 26. Oh, yeah. Do you know they know that number? 18 hours. We have 47 minutes. 26 days. Five hours. 17 minutes. 49, 49, 49. 36, 34 seconds. Yeah. We have God doing immeasurably more around this room. These are just the marriages that we're pointing out to you. These are the engagements. When I look at Juan and Graciela, I know where they were a year ago. God is doing immeasurably more. If you haven't heard some of these couples' testimony, you need to buy them lunch or buy them dinner. You're welcome. And you need to talk to them about their testimonies of what they had to lay down. They could, even more than they could ask or imagine, what God is doing in their lives right now. This is just four couples in this room. Yeah. God is doing so much in each of our lives. We could point to you and we could say, we've seen you grow in the last 12 months. We've watched God do things that you never thought were even possible. And they're happening. They're happening in our day. They're happening in our time. They're happening in this church. And they're happening all across the One Association. Man, that is so true. I mean, come on, church. We be growing. We be growing up in here. Oh, yeah. We're just going to do it. We be able, we be growing. <laughs> Thinking of immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Let's just rewind to a few re weeks ago at the One Association Conference. Didn't God do for you immeasurably more during the course of preparing, attending, and returning from the One Association Conference? I mean, we said it last week, we're going to say it again. The miracle that our vehicles traveled 14 hours and made it back, still intact, still working and, and taking you to the grocery store and to work. That is immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. It's more than any other year we've ever attended. <laughs> yes. The fact that we still have our electric bills paid for this coming month is amazing. It's immeasurably more. Come on, Adulam, where are you at? <laughs> Feeding our grandbabies. What this should begin to do, I mean, there's not a person in this room who doesn't have evidence that God is able to do immeasurably more. Look at your most recent events. And, and stand on the testimony of what God has already accomplished. Therefore, it's going to give you hope for what lies in the future. Come on, we, we cannot despair about what is yet to come because we have a mountain of evidence of what he's already done. Some more rewind. Rewind it, DJ. So when I was at this year's One Association Conference, I'm standing in a place of time and evidence of what God has been able to do that's immeasurably more than I could have ever asked or imagined. I am standing in both the present of, of a, a room filled with 700 uh, people, families, churches that are domestic and international, and I'm simultaneously standing in the past. I'm standing in 
the past that recollects the, the garage that we first started in. Now, the garage on Kettle Run, it was filled with 50 chairs. 50 chairs about two-thirds the size of each one of the chairs that you're sitting in now. And 50 chairs is something roughly to the effect of on my left side from the front row all the way back to where Cody is. And that's what filled the garage. Now, out of those 50 chairs, only six were occupied. What I'm trying to connect here is that standing in that moment of this year's conference, I am simultaneously standing in what we first experienced whenever LCM began. And I'm, I'm truly in awe that my expectations have been far exceeded of what I first imagined in that garage. I mean, yeah, I, I imagine uh, a, a congregation. I imagine us doing many mighty things for God, but I could have never imagined what we are now. I could not imagine a room right here, right now, filled with the number and the quality of men and women of God that you are, saints. I couldn't imagine you, but God did. That what began as a spring of living water in Sugarland, Texas, I could not imagine would multiply to springs that would emerge in the eastern half of the United States, be planted in Indonesia, and also in Peru. I couldn't imagine that. Therefore, the future of what will be cannot and will not be limited to what is measured in the confines of our own imaginations. If he is limitless, if his plans are incalculable, then where does all of this fear and terror come from when we begin to see past the borders of what we can ask or imagine? Where does it come from? So is the question really, if he can? Hey, y'all are going to have to do better engaging with us today. Is the real question, if he can? No. Is the real question, is he able? No. no. So isn't the, really, the real question here, am I able? Yes. See, what we know because we're, just, we're not hirelings here in this house. This is a family meeting, and we're just having it like it's in a large living room. As a matter of fact, that's really the only reason we have this building. We'd prefer to have it in a living room, but it's just difficult to fit everybody and your kids in one living room. So we're going to talk to you like fathers today. We're not talking to you like hirelings. The real question and the self-proclaimed statement that this group of people has going on internally is, I can't. I can't imagine that I'm able. I mean... We appreciate you taking a few minutes and reminding us of incredible things, and we are so encouraged about what God has done, but it feels like it's beyond our imagination what he is still going to do in our lives. Not the potential, but what he's told us that he will do. It actually just comes down to a plain two-word statement inside of our hearts. I can't. Turn with us to Mark chapter 9, and you're going to see that this is exactly what the word helps us to deal with. Mark chapter 9 and verse 23. Yeah, you're going to need to get there. Say immeasurably more as you're turning. Mark 9 and verse 23 says this. And Jesus said to him, if you can. Now, 
we have to infer some of the uh, tone, right? It's just written words here. Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Now, in my mind, this is not a real gentle, oh, if you can. Oh, silly father, silly man, anything is possible. I almost hear Jesus kind of with a, a laughter in this. If you can, are you serious? All things are possible for the one who believes. All of them with a power and a force that as he's saying it, he begins to move on this man who is requesting Jesus to come and heal and to set his son free from demonic possession. If you can, all things are possible. Somebody say all things. All things. All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately. This is the reason I think that it was like a wave of Holy Ghost power that hit this man. Because it says immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help my unbelief, Lord. Help those areas where internally I'm saying I can't. Now engage with this man for just a second. Engage with this father of a son. Man, I had such a sweet time during worship. I got to hold my grandbaby. Oh, getting all the loves just right there, just head on the shoulder. I'm a grandfather. What I wouldn't do for my grandchildren. Can you imagine this father who's looking at his son who's being tormented by demonic forces, throwing him on the ground, but not just throwing him on the ground, trying to throw him in a fire, trying to destroy this little innocent child's life. How many things do you think that this father had done to try to help his son? Put yourself in the father's role. What would you be willing to do for a son that is tormented by demonic forces? I don't even know what to do. I'm trying. I'm trying. I will try everything. In the Luke 9 account, we're in Mark 9. In the Luke 9 account, it's a parallel passage, and it gives you more details on this exact story. It adds the details that the father had even taken the boys to the disciples and begged them to cast the demon out, but they could not. Somebody say, they could not. They could not. I took them to your whole team full of people, and they could not do anything. Now he's beginning to question Jesus. If you can do anything, please have compassion. Please, I don't even, if, if you can. But isn't that what the I can't thought always leads to? Yes. I can't. I've tried and I've failed. I can't. I can't fix it. I can't do it. It's too much. It's too big. And then you get convinced that they can't do it. Well, I even brought them to the disciples, but they couldn't do it either. See, this can't be done, which leads to someone saying, you can't. This I can't thought that we are having inside of us is a cancer. It is a cancer that causes us to move from I can't. You know what? LCM can't either. You know what? The One Association, this is just a bunch of hype. And ultimately, it leads us to the real position in our hearts. You can't. I can't is a cancer. When you think about that, the phrase, I can't, is a cancer. 
Let me give you some descriptions of what it looks like in the soul of a believer. It's a parasitic abnormality within the tissue of the body. It is disconnected from the directives of the head and only seeks to steal, kill, and destroy the healthy cells that give life. And it works to separate its function from the rest of the body. It exists within the body, but it is not intrinsically connected to the body. The cancer of I can't, it starts out as microscopic. Just the beginning working of a cell. And that microscopic thought operates outside of the mind of Christ. It is not dependent on the head of the body to give its directives. In fact, it then goes on to refuse the counsel of God's word. And when left unchecked, it goes from microscopic to macromorphic. It always grows to a larger form and shape. See, it goes beyond the internal solitude of your own soul. It doesn't just stay just within you. And it projects impossibility on God's ambassadors and even projects impossibilities on God himself. The truth is, is with this kind of cancer of I can't, the heart and mind is the most frequently attacked tissue in your being. The cancer of I can't causes a separation between the thoughts of impossibility and the actual truth of God's word and the work that is stored up in them. As it embeds its tentacles, it starts to choke out the trust-grounded obedience that has made you fruitful for years. And it causes memory loss. It does. I can't causes memory loss in an epic kind of way. Yeah. It causes you to, to forget the miracles, the wondrous victories over the impossibilities that you've experienced time and time and time and time and time yes. and time again. You begin to forget every good thing that God has done in your life, and you begin to forget every good thing that everyone else around you has done for you in your life. Boy, that's the truth. But praise God. Somebody say praise God. Praise God. We got some good news for you here today. Well, are you ready for good news? We're going to give it to you. In relation to the cancer of I can't. We have a cure. Uh, we have a cure for cancer. And you're going to get a full dose of it today. Everyone turn with us to Psalm 86 and say immeasurably more as you turn. Psalm 86, verse 1. It says this. We're going to read to you from the ESV. It says... Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Hey, by the way, this psalm is going to mean more to you after we're done with it than maybe it has ever before, because it sure came alive to us. Incline your ear, Lord. Uh, I need you to not only turn your ear, but I need you to stretch your ear towards me. I need you to, I need you to help me, Lord. I'm going to ask that you listen to the cry that I have, because I am looking at the situation. I am really poor and in need. 
Lord, I have the cancer of I can't, but I need to put my eyes on the situation. One of the things that the cancer of I can't does to you is it causes you not to want to look at the real condition of your situation. You want to look away, you want to avoid, you want to ignore the thing because it feels so painful, it's so hurtful, it's so embarrassing and full of shame. Instead of relying on that, what we do is we say, Lord, incline your ear. I am poor and needy. It's like the Numbers 21. Do you remember that story where the people of God were being snake bitten? They were being snake bitten, and God had a solution for them. The solution was for them to put their eyes on the judgment of the sin that was before them. They had to look at it. They couldn't look away from it. They had to look at it. But in looking at it was the solution. It was the salvation. Hey, church, you all just nodded your heads on that, on that story there in Numbers 21. But before they started getting snake-bitten on the outside, do you remember what was the cause? They became impatient. Then they began to grumble against Moses. Against, look, we don't have food. We don't have water. We're going to die. By the way, it says we have no food. And then the very next phrase is, but we don't like the food that you've given us. So the issue wasn't that they didn't actually have food, but what they did is exactly what we saw in Mark 9. They started going, I can't do this. This traveling is too hard. You know what? They can't do it either. We're all going to die. We don't have what we need. You know why? Because we're saying, God, you can't do it. They were already snake bitten on the inside, and it was God's kindness to let them know by actually having a snake bite them so that they could look at it. Verse 1 of Psalm 86 has given us a cure for the cancer of I can't. The very first thing that we do is we cry out to the Lord and we look at our actual condition. We actually see it for what it is. Take a look at verse 2. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant. Who trusts in you? You are my God. I had an interesting reaction there in the audience that I was not expecting from Natalie. It says, for I am godly. And Natalie said, no. Isn't that a perfect example? Like live and in person? When I say preserve my life, God guard me, help me. Protect me, preserve me, for I am godly. You can both look at what was ailing you and realize that salvation has come to you at the same time. You don't ignore one to take the other. If you ignore the sin, then you can't really be godly. But if you forget that you're actually godly and are dealing with the sin, then you're in the same pit that you started with. I am godly. Say that with me. I am godly. Can you feel that? Maybe that's echoed in what we know from in familiarity in Peter's writings that his divine nature has given us everything for life and godliness. We are made in his image. We have been qualified, but is our gracious father who is leading us to live in the godliness that he's imparted into us. Say it again. I am godly. I am godly. If you 
have become, if God has made you into a son and a daughter, then you should be able to say, Lord, preserve me because I am godly. I am your servant. I do trust in you. What I need help with is the things where I don't trust you. But I'm not going to ignore the fact that I am growing, that you are working, that your spirit is at work in me, and I can see proof of it. I won't throw away your proof because of an I can't thing inside of me. I am godly. Say it again. I am godly. I am godly. Look how the thought continues into verse 3. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Look, the, the, the heart posture is this. I'm not asking because I have it all together. I'm asking because I simply need your favor. I don't need a favor, but I need your favor. I need that extension of unmerited favor from you to me for me to be able to have access to cry to you on your throne all day long. This leads to what we see in now verse 4. Gladden the soul of your servant. You see how that is the cry? Lord, uh, fill me with your joy. Fill my emotions, my mind, my, my will, and the very, very things that uh, uh, I desire. Fill it with joy. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Look, the cancer of I can't, it steals your joy. It kills your faith. It destroys your memory of how good you are in God's favor. Look, thinking about cancer, I can't help but think of Psalm 67. May the Lord be gracious. Make his face shine upon us. Look, what, what is the, uh, the method of treatment by oncologists of cancer? That is radiation. And that radiation in man's form seeks to just burn and destroy specific areas of tissue in hopes to destroy the cancerous tissue. But our God has a much better cure. It's the light of his face shining down upon us. It's the radiation from his presence. It is the very tangible substance of his throne being extended down here to earth. His extension of grace that results in joy reflecting off of my face. You want to know what it looks like as a recipient of God's grace in his favor and one that cries out. It is one that lifts up their head to heaven and says, Lord, you are my source of light. You are my source of joy. What is here in my present is not going to confine my limitations of what you can do. Verse 5 goes on to say, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Abounding in chesed, in steadfast love, to all who call upon you. To all who call upon you. To all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace in the day of my trouble. I call upon you. Church, the best thing that you can do to overcome and have a cure for the cancer of I can't is to begin to focus on his character. Yeah, that was a better, I'm telling you this is a cure. To focus on his character. Lord, you are good. You're only good. You are only forgiving. You are only about, this is who you are, mighty one. See, the I can't causes you to fail to call out to him. 
when you are focused on the I can't, you actually just don't ask him for help. Oh, you think you do, but you're not asking for him to transform you. You're asking for him to change everything around you. Listen to your prayers. Lord, I need a different job. We need this. If only these people would say it better. If only this could happen. And you begin to fail to cry out to the Lord to change you. You ask God to change everything around you. Change my job. If only I had more money. If only I could do this. If only I had a better wife. If only I had a better husband. If only my kids were not sick. If only the church would do better. If only the church weren't so serious. If only them, 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 them. All of that is a sign that you are feeling, I can't. You're trying to make it where they can't because you're ultimately saying that he can't. So what we do, the cure, which is what we're talking about, is to say, Lord, you're good and forgiving. You're abounding in steadfast love. I'm going to go ahead and pray to you and actually ask that you transform and change me because that's the real issue. The issue isn't whether he can or whether he is able. It's that I am fighting with this own cancer, and I need you to change me because I know your character because if I cry out to you, you will listen to all who call upon you because he's so good. He is good enough to listen to you, and he's great enough to help you. Yeah, I'm going to say that again. He's good enough to listen to you. And he's great enough to actually change you and help you. Come on now. Look at verse 8. This is why you could say, there is none like you among the gods. O Lord, nor are there any work like yours. Now, see, you're starting to lift up the name of God, his character. Lord, there's none like you. No one and no God, little g, has the kind of character that you do. And, somebody say, and. And we're lifting up his reputation because he has his mighty deeds. There's no one who performs work like you. Isn't that right, Rhett and Gabby? Come on now. There's no one that works and acts like our God. This reminds me of Isaiah 46. He's the one who calls the end from the beginning. God says about himself, there is none like me. There's no one like me. You need to put your trust in me because I promise you I will never fail you. God says in that passage, my counsel is going to stand. I'm going to accomplish everything that I desired. Come on now, church. This is a cure that's beginning to crack that cancer of I can't inside of us, and I can feel it. Focusing on his character. These feel like they're too simple. You mean all I have to do is take this? It's not all you have to do, but this is where we start. You mean there's a medicine, there's a cure for this that I can have inside of me? Yes, it's already given to you. It's already before you. Our God will accomplish what he desires if you just don't fall prey to the cancer of I can't. Look at verse 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. So the, the entire perspective is he will do this for us. As we have seen, and he will accomplish his work in the nations. Right? So we have on a placard above my head, one life, one family. One life, one family. And that is mirrored by the placard on our sound booth. Perform out there what you practice in here. So how do we fulfill going from one life, one family to one nation? Is that we perform out there what we practice in here. 
You realize that your daily pursuit on the immeasurably more of what God can do in you, your home, and in the churches is how God is going to use all of us to be able to reach to the nations? So the cancer of I can't will cause me to miss out on the eternal, supernatural, immeasurable mission to the whole world that he has given us, that he has qualified us. And it begins to embed itself into, I won't do it. I can't do it. Revelation 15, 3 through 4 says this, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Begin to think about that in your own life in this church. That his righteous acts have been revealed. We look around this room and we see testimony after testimony of God's resurrection and righteous deeds that happen in our own church. Uh, I, we're, we're having a wedding next week, right? And it's Nick and Anna. They, they are a testimony of what God has resurrected in the righteous deeds that only the hand of God could do. But it's also matched by another wonderful testimony that we said many times, but it's worth highlighting. It's Ray and Ruby Pena. That we're having a wedding at their house in their backyard. The wondrous and mighty acts of what God has done in this church is now a spring of living water flowing out of the Pena household and facilitating ministry through servanthood and tons of joy. Isn't that right, Ray? Ruby! All right. Verse 10 says, For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Church, Look at verse 11 because this is the key to the entirety of the cure for I can't. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. This is it. This is it right here for us to ask God, show us how to do this. We're not going to pretend like we know more than we do. We're going to have faith. We're going to have boldness. And we're going to go, God, we need you to help us every step. We're going to cry out to you, as Pastor said earlier, all day long. We're going to keep asking. You realize that you don't just need to ask the Lord when you wake up in the morning and you pray through the tabernacle every day like you should be. But you realize that you can do that all day long, right? You're constantly asking him to teach your ways. See, the word of God has to move from our brain into our hearts, and then keep us in his moving deep into our actions so that we can walk and be secured by his truth. Do you see that phrase, unite my heart? Unite my heart. What would that mean except that inside of us, if we need to have our heart united, then what does that mean? That it's divided. This is where you get concepts like being double-minded. In the Greek, when you see that in the book of James, it's literally 
two psyches. Die psychos. Yeah, I said it right. And you heard it right. You're twice the psycho that you were before. <laughs> Being double-minded. You know what this passage teaches us? You can also have a double heart. You can have a double heart that does actually believe in God, where you actually can say, I follow God. I am godly. And, somebody say and. and. A double part of your heart that is also full of I can't. The psalmist David here is giving it to us and saying, Lord, I need you to teach me your ways because in walking in your ways, it unites my heart. Unite my double-hearted nature and put it together rightly, Lord. See, this cancer of I can't is completely cured as the Lord unites your heart. How can we talk about having united hearts across an entire group of people until we have a united heart, then we could have a united heart. This is what God is getting at today, and he's helping us to do it. So that cure is, is really seen in the function of God's word, right? When we think about a divided or dipsychos heart, the cure is God's word. His word sanctifies it's his truth that sanctifies, just as he states in his prayer in John 17. In fact, a familiar passage that, that uh, uh, illuminates this is one that we're all familiar with. It's Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, is sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing joint marrow and soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Right? God's word and its application is there as a constant source of the cure of the cancer of I can't that leads to our divided heart. The truth is, our cry is, Lord, unite my heart. Unite my heart with your word, and that will enable me to unite my heart with you and your people. That double-minded, double-hearted nature that causes the cancer of I can't is completely cured when we unite our hearts so we can truly begin to fear God's name, you begin to have right clarity and perspective of who he is, what he's done, and yet what he is still able to do. Church, as we move forward to the book of James, this allows us to actually worship God with our whole heart. Not just part of it, not part of our double heart, but with a whole heart. Once our heart is united, we can actually give thanks and praise and glory to God with our whole heart. Is there anybody in this house that really wants to do that? You want to worship and glorify God with your whole heart? I know you do. You do. You are godly people, and this is how we're going to do it. Look at James 1 and verse 5 with us. Look at James 1 and verse 5. We're going to read this to you from the NIV. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Yeah. Hey, somebody say amen to that. Yes. Whatever you need, you just need to ask him. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. See, now that you begin to read this with the concept of having a united heart, 
we're going to help you to read a very familiar passage in a very unfamiliar way. Yes. It's not if, but when you lack wisdom. Yes. All right. It's not if, if you lack wisdom. No, when I lack wisdom, when you lack wisdom, you can ask God who gives generously. Somebody say, I can. can. When you lack strength, you can ask God who gives without finding fault. Somebody say, I can. can. When you are being stricken with the cancer of I can't, you can ask. And he will give generously to you, abundantly to you, immeasurably more to you with no placement of fault. It will be given to you because you can ask him. Look at what verse 6 says. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So let's continue to flip the script of perspective of these familiar verses. When we read this, we should see that you can ask in full belief in his character, his greatness, and his goodness to you. Everybody say, I can. I can. You can ask him without doubt and stand as a solid rock just as he, his character is. You have the ability to access the throne, the mind, and the wisdom of God. There's never a time that you are without the ability to access his heart and get direction from his throne. Let's look at verse 7. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, how many of us have read verses 6 and 7 and you feel the impending doom that you're going to probably mess this up? Anybody ever read these verses and be like, I don't know if I can, if I doubt, uh, I, I might not, I'm, I should expect to receive nothing from the Lord. But now that you have a unified heart, a united heart, the person who has the cancer of I can't, when they get the I can't in full remission, you should expect to receive everything that you have asked from the Lord. Yeah, see, we're, we're helping you. If you're living in I can't, there's expectations that are spelled out. But what happens when you're living in I can? You should expect. You can expect to receive exactly what you've asked from the Lord. Somebody say that's good news. That's good news. Look at verse 8. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You know what this is? This is no longer you and me. Why? Because we can have a walk that is free of being double-minded, double-hearted, and unstable in all we do. We can stand like a rock, firm and immovable in the direction, call, and function of who we are as a church. You know, when, when we really get a, a grasp of this, really begin to understand it, there is not only a, a united heart in you or your family, there is a united heart within our whole church. You know what that is? That is absolutely unstoppable. Unstoppable. See, what, what we've been doing, uh, what God has been doing for weeks and what we're doing this morning, we're trying to detach and cut off those tentacles of this cancer of I can't. And we are replacing it with the perspective of, you can. 
You can have a walk that is stable, consistent, not going through cycle after cycle of the same issue, but we're cutting it off at its root and we're replacing it with a firmly grounded faith. The whole purpose is that God is leading us to be single-minded, of one heart, of one mind, directed in his one purpose for our whole church. So to see this, let's all turn to 1 Chronicles 12. We're going to pick up in verse 33. Say immeasurably more as you turn. Immeasurably more. Come on, 1 Chronicles 12. This is good. Verse 33. It says this, of Zebulun, 50,000 seasoned troops equipped for battle with all the weapons of war to help King David with singleness of purpose. Everybody say singleness of purpose. Now this is a listing of these men right here are part of a myriad of men who've been made mighty because of their interactions with King David. King David was a king maker and became a king himself. I just got to tell you a little nugget that we found. When we began to look in the Hebrew here for singleness of purpose, i got to be honest with you, what I was expecting to find in the Hebrew language was something about purpose, maybe a mishmerit, a mission that was ichad. I'm telling you what I was expecting to find when I looked at the words beneath this phrase. What I found was something that caught me off guard. What the literal Hebrew says beneath with singleness of purpose is with no Heart and heart. With no heart and heart. That is the literal Hebrew as best as I can translate it underneath. Hey, Beth, do we have Young's Literal? We're going to put it on the screen for you now because Young's Literal just helps us. Of Zebulun going forth to the host, arranging battle with all instruments in battle, are 50,000 and keeping rank without a double heart. We're going to have singleness of purpose. You know how you do that? You get rid of the double heart that you have, and then the group can join together in a singleness of purpose. By the way, these warriors of Zebulon, who were 50,000 strong, you know what that means about them? If they are in rank, keeping rank without a double heart, you know what it means? It means they have all defeated the cancer of I can't. An entire tribe full of people, 50,000 warriors armed to the teeth, and what they are saying is, we know how to stand in rank, and we don't have a divided heart. We don't have a double heart in us, and that makes us just as lion-like as the king that we serve. They are not double-minded, and they're not double-hearted. They have a singleness of purpose because they're ready. You know what a singleness of purpose allows them to do? Not having a double heart allows them to do? To give all of their resources, to give their swords, to give their lives to the purposes that have been established by the king for them. Church, I just want to say it plainly to you. There's no shadow of turning in Christ. Can somebody agree with that? And there will be no shadow of turning in us that comes from a double heart. The same can be said of each and every person. This is what God is doing. He is get, he taking away your double heart and giving us singleness of purpose. Church, we have a united heart. We are walking in singleness of purpose with our great king. By the way, 
The Lord is never of two opinions on a given matter because he doesn't have a double heart. And you know what we can say after today? Neither do we. We have a united heart. We are walking in singleness of purpose with our king, and we're loving every minute of it. (laughs) Amen. Hey, turn with us to Luke chapter 9. Say immeasurably more as you turn. Building on the passage that Pastor Wade just shared, is that you have 50,000 men of Zebulun, a fraction of David's total army, who are able to be mighty warriors with singleness of purpose or without a double heart. Well, what we're about to read is the commissioning of 12 men that were under the command of Jesus. And let's pick up in verse 1. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority. What did he give them? Okay, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So make sure that we don't miss this at all. This is important. What did the Son of God give his 12 disciples? Power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Well, you know what these guys did with this power and authority? They went and advanced the kingdom with it. These 12 went throughout the region, acting upon this power and authority, liberating those in bondage to demonic strongholds and curing impossible ailments. That is the accounting in Luke 9, if you read further. So from this point of after going throughout the region and using that power and authority, you know they journey with Jesus to the region of Mount Hermon? And by revelation of the Spirit, it's where Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Three close disciples witness the event known as the Mount of Transfiguration there at the pinnacle of Mount Hermon. You could also say that is the pinnacle of what they're experiencing in their discipleship. And they begin their way down Mount Hermon. And there just so happens to be a father whose son has been tormented by a demon that is throwing his son in the fire. So they received power and authority. They went throughout the region. They did heal and cast out demons. They saw some of the most momentous and memorialized events in their discipleship so far. And now, now is that point that the father with the son approaches. This is the same guy we told you about earlier that asked Jesus to help him in his unbelief. He begs. He cries out for Jesus to cure his son and states that he previously begged the 12 disciples to cast it out, but they could not. You know, their discipleship looks a lot like ours. Yep, we went and did all these great things, and the power and authority of God moved through us. And then later on it surfaces, oh, yeah, yeah, that one thing that we couldn't do. We forgot to tell you about that, Jesus. But it was to their benefit, and we're going to lead you in that. So when Jesus hears this report of the father with the son and what disciples couldn't do, he says, hey, bring the boy to me. And now the following occurs in the parallel passages in Mark chapter 9. 
So we're in Luke 9. Let's all go to Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 26. Mark 9, 26. It says this. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, oh, he did. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. If you're like any of us as disciples, you would have had one thought on your mind, right? Jesus cast out this demon that you and your 11 other ministry partners couldn't do. (laughs) You actually tried after you had been given power and authority, and your whole team couldn't seem to get it done. Isn't the question that starts to come to mind, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us that I can't? I mean, Jesus just did it. Apparently, he did it fairly easily. What's wrong with me that I can't? Let's look at the next verse. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? So there's something very plain and yet hidden in this, this question. The issue was that they didn't, not that they couldn't. I'll, I'll say it again. Say it again. The issue was that they didn't do what Jesus did, not that they couldn't do what Jesus did. This is a, a highly deceptive lie. And it's the, the lie of I can't. Because the lie of I can't, it masks the test of our faith with a false negative. A false negative that says, I didn't, therefore I can't. And you never understand why you didn't. But you just believe the lie that you can't. The positive truth is that they didn't. Because there was an important lesson that their teacher desired them to obtain. It wasn't for their disqualification. It was for their equipping. Before Pastor Matt continues on with verse 29, we want to make sure that you get this. The cancer of I can't, you feel justified in because you can point back into the areas where you didn't. I've tried to lead my wife well. It just didn't work. I've tried to do this whole living in a community thing. It's just, it didn't work. I've tried to do this, and here I am back around at the same point again. See, I didn't, but I feel like I can't. This is the pivotal point of what we have here. It gives you a false negative. That's the way Pastor said it, which I think is a great way to say that. You look at the fact that you didn't, and you presume that you can't. So you forget everything that God has empowered you with. You forget everything that he's done, and you've exalted your own feeling that you can't, and you're pointing at the fact that you didn't as the justification to stay in I can't. I can't. You see? Look. I mean, don't look at what God did. Look at what I failed at. I mean, I know God has rescued me time and time and time again. 
pulled me out of a pit, helped me, has given me a family, has given me a better life than I could have ever asked for already. But because I didn't, therefore I can't, and I'd rather just say that y'all can't and you can't. Look at what Jesus leads the 12 to be able to do and to be able to see in the very next verse. Pastor? His reply to the question that they asked was this kind can come out only by prayer. So the trajectory of I didn't and therefore I can't is cured in the reply that Jesus gave. This kind can come out only by prayer. Some translations say prayer and fasting or King James prayer and supplication. But we want to tie this to where we began in Luke chapter 9. What were the two things that he gave his disciples? Power and authority. That's evidence that they could. But he's showing them how to use that power and authority so that next time they will do it. See, it's not more power. It's not more authority that they needed. If it was so, he would have said so. But, but relate this to, to you and me. Whenever you are l- l- inviting and welcoming that lie of I didn't, therefore I can't, that outward transferal of blame towards others, leaders, and God begins to say, you didn't give me enough power. You haven't given me enough authority. I need more opportunities to show how powerful I really am, how much authority I really can exert, and it's your fault for holding me down. And it's missing the whole point. You haven't put yourself in position of crying out to God in a constant level of dependency. And there's an isolated exertion of your own power and authority to prove your own worth and really to remediate the the lie that I can't. Because what we learned at the beginning of this year is that you already have everything you need. You just need to get rid of those things that you don't need. And what you don't need is the cancer of I can't. These were already given to them before they were even sent out. Power and authority was given to them before they were even sent out. It was the act of asking the Father for help. Or put this in context, prayer and fasting is equivalent with repentance. To repent and turn from the heart that says, I can't. To the heart that says, I can come to you, my Father, for help. This is a greater task that I am used to. I am untrained. I am uncharted waters, and I am drowning, Father. I've actually become so confident in my own ability to use your name, your power, your authority, that I've abandoned my desperate need to look to you in each endeavor. And I have sought to rely on what I can do apart from you. Apart from you. So, Father, I can. I can do nothing on my own. I can only do this 
by your heavenly aid. I can only do what I see you doing. I can only say what I hear you saying. Why? Because you're my only sole source of power and authority. Church, for us to be able to get where we are going to go as a church with each of us in this room plus the ones that God wants to add, we have to get this. See, the abilities that he empowers you with, you then be able to use and you forget that, he, that you couldn't do it before, that it is through his enablement that you can only do it now, and you begin to trust in what your arm can do, even if it was something that God gave you now that you can do. Got it. Thanks. Thanks for giving it to me. I'll walk over here, and then when you fail, the I can't gets onto you. We have to cry out to God and ask him to help us in every endeavor. Look, for our final passage of the day, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Say immeasurably more as you're turning. Say it again, immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's prayer here is for the Ephesian church. And it is the exact same prayer that your pastors have for you this morning. That you may be strengthened with power in your inner being. That you may have a united heart that is no longer a double heart, but is singleness and purpose that is expelling, eviscerating, dominating over the cancer of I can't. Church, we want to remind you, tell you, and inspire you that you've already been given the power and the authority of the heavens. It can't be that we sit here and we are not able to say, I am godly. You have been given what you need, and you've been given it time and time again. Now it's time to deal with our own hearts that condemn us. Read 1 John 3. Read it. You talk about a heart that condemns yourself, but our God is greater than that because he knows what's really going on. You can have a heart that does not condemn you. You can have a heart that doesn't condemn you. You can have a heart that does not condemn you. You can have a heart that does not condemn you. You can eradicate the cancer of I can't. You know why? Because we can have confidence before our God. He is instilling a confidence in us today. Look at, verse, look at the rest of the verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So this is the second time 
Paul is highlighting prayer. And I pray that you all, since you are actually rooted and established in love. You know, this letter is written to the Ephesians, but he's then including all of the congregations of believers. So get this. Paul is praying that this church, together with all the Lord's holy people, may have the power to grasp. The power to reach out, to stretch out, and fully take hold. Not just comprehend, but fully take hold and grasp the love of the Father. The love of the Father that seeks and already has imparted into you his divine nature. Everything that you need for life and godliness. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what Paul is praying for them to have the power to grasp and stretch out and obtain. This is not your measure of your own ability, but his ability to bring you to fullness. This is not about the measure of what you can understand, but about being able to stretch out and grasp the fullness of who God is. This is not about the measure of your power, but about being filled to the full measure of his power that is at work in you. Everybody say is. Is. The evidence of that his power is at work in you is the fact that you're sitting in these seats right now. It's the fact that you are operating in teams right now. The fact that your marriage, that your life, that your calling is advanced in a year. That's evidence that his power is already at work. So do not give way to the lie that you can't, they can't, and God can't. There is a mountain of evidence under your feet that you can. Church, are you hearing that this passage, in some of the translations, it says that you may comprehend. I don't agree with that translation. I think you comprehending is not the, not the point. How wide, how, how high, how strong, how deep is the love of Christ? Like you can comprehend that anyway. Isn't that what it says? <laughs> it's, it says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you both comprehend and it surpass your knowledge? It's not about you comprehending. It's about you stretching out and grasping it, that he's, what he's got for you. That is very different than trying to wrap your mind about the depths of God's love. You have to stretch out and grasp it. Stand to your feet as we read these last two verses to you. Look at verse 20, which is where we began today. This is going to help us to stretch out, to reach out, to grasp hold of what he has for us here in this place. Look at verse 20. Now. Everybody say now. Now. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What we're saying to you, been saying to you, now, now was the time 
to let the word of God cure the I can't. But stretch out, stretch out in faith that your Father will give you what you need. Your Father will enable you to understand who He is and the plan that He has for you on a daily basis and long term as well. But it requires something of you. It requires of you to identify and cut off those I can'ts, to cut off that cancerous element. And you cut it off with the word. Every time that it surfaces, every time that it pops up, you combat it with exactly what the word says, and then you turn your face like flint to the fact that you can. You can cry out to your Father every day, throughout the day, all day long, and have the power and authority to accomplish his will that day. You are never without access to his power and authority. And don't give way, not one millimeter, to the thought that I can't. Replace it with I can. I can in your power. I can in your strength. I can in your name. Isn't that how we have seen healings take place in this church? We come together, we lay our hands because we know that our God can through us. Through my hands being laid on. Yes, Father, you can cure this, this ailment, this illness. Through your power, through my hands, I can see this demonic power crushed and cast out. He has not left us as orphans. He has not abandoned us to figure this out all on our own, but he is our father and will continue to be our father. Church, this altar time is going to be very, very direct and very open. This is not a time for you to come to the altar, oh, I can't. That's not where we're going. No, maybe you didn't, but you can this time is for us to reach out, to stretch forth our hands and say, God, you can. God, we can. God, I can. That he is moving in this house to cause us to stretch out and to have a united heart within ourselves and amongst the brotherhood. Stretch out your hands to God.